and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. You know, I hear we were just in Chicago. We were just in Chicago. Just a mere few, a mere weeks, few weeks ago. And it was... It felt feels like it was a long time ago it at does. this point, right? I miss all of our friends. Mm. It was super fun. I mean, thank God for the internet, but still. Yeah. It was fun to hug everybody and sing at everybody. <laughs> There's a lot of... And eat s'mores pancakes. Oh, s'mores that pancakes. That place was great. Our Triviality Brothers uh, took us to a very good um, breakfast place, mm. and uh, we got to spend a lot of time with them, so it was great. It was wonderful. Yeah, listen Hi, to boys. their show, everybody. Hi, yeah, boys. Yeah, listen to Triviality. It's great. Um, yeah, so before we were going to Chicago, yeah. in preparation, I was trying to brainstorm like, oh my gosh, what are some Chicago-y things that could possibly come up at Geek Bowl? Yeah. And I s- focused in on um, one topic that I didn't feel very strong about. Okay. Um, so I decided to take a bunch of notes and it, uh, you know what, I've turned that into this week's episode. Great. Um, today we were talking about John Hughes. And his films. Love it. So, the man, John Hughes, uh, was born John Wilden Hughes Jr. He was an American filmmaker who began his career as an author of humorous essays and stories for National Lampoon. And he went on to write, produce, and sometimes direct some of the most successful live-action comedy films of the 1980s and 90s. Most of Hughes' work is set in the Chicago metropolitan area. And he's best known for his coming-of-age teen comedy films that often combine magical realism with honest depictions of suburban teenage life. Mm. Hughes was born on February 18, 1950 in Lansing, Michigan, the only boy of four children to John Hughes Sr. and his wife, Marion. He spent the first 12 years of his life in Gross Point, Michigan, and he described himself as kind of quiet as a kid. Hmm. In 1963, Hughes's family moved to Northbrook, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Hughes attended Grove Middle School, later going on to Glenbrook North High School, which gave him inspiration for the films that eventually made his reputation. There, he met Nancy Ludwig, a cheerleader, and his future wife. They got married in 1970, and together they had two children, John Hughes III, born in 1976, and James Hughes, born in 1979. But before all that, after dropping out of the University of Arizona, Hughes began selling jokes to well-established performers like Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. Wow. Hughes used his jokes to get an entry-level job at Needham, Harper, and Steers as an advertising copywriter in Chicago in 1970, and then later in 1974 at Leo Burnett Worldwide. His work frequently took him to the Philip Morris headquarters in New York City, where he was able to visit the offices of National Lampoon Magazine. Hmm. He became a regular contributor in the late 1970s, and editor P.J. O'Rourke said that, quote, John wrote so fast and so well that it was hard for a monthly magazine to keep up with him. Oh, Wow. So his first credited screenplay, National Lampoon's Class Reunion, was written while he was still on staff at the magazine. Hughes' next screenplay, National Lampoon's Vacation, would become a major hit in 1983. And this, along with the success of another Hughes script that same year, Mr. Mom, earned him a three-film deal with Universal Pictures. So Hughes' directorial debut, 16 Candles, won almost unanimous praise when it was released in 1984, due in no small part to its more honest depiction of navigating adolescence and the social dynamics of high school life. It's a great movie. And it was the first in his string of efforts about teenage life set in or around high school. To avoid being pigeonholed as a maker of only teen movies, Hughes branched out in 1987 by directing the hit comedy Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, starring Steve Martin and John Candy. His later output was not nearly as well received by critics, though films like Uncle Buck and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation proved very popular to audiences. His final film as a director was 1991's Curly Sue. Hughes's greatest commercial success came with Home Alone, which was the top grossing film of 1990 and remains the most successful live action family comedy of all time. He followed that up with sequels Home Alone 2, Lost in New York in 1992, and also Home Alone 3 in 1997. Some of the subsequent films he wrote and produced during this time also contain kind of elements that they ended up dubbing like the Home Alone formula, Mm. including films like Dennis the Menace in 1993 and Baby's Day Out in 1994. He also wrote screenplays under the pseudonym Edmund Dantes after the protagonist of Alexander Dumas's novel, The Count of Monte Cristo. Wow. Jeez. In 1994, Hughes retired from the public eye and moved back to the Chicago area. 
In the following year, Hughes and Ricardo Mestres, both of whom had production deals with Walt Disney Pictures, formed the short-lived joint venture production studio Great Oaks Entertainment. Hughes worked in Chicago while Mestres was based in Los Angeles, but the company produced the films Jack, 101 Dalmatians, and Flubber. But Hughes and Mestres ended their partnership in 1997. In the following years, Hughes rarely granted interviews to the media. On August 5th, 2009, Hughes and his wife traveled to New York City to visit their son James and their new grandson. John appeared to be in good health that night and the family had made plans for the next day. But on the morning of August 6th, Hughes was taking a walk near his hotel on West 55th Street in Manhattan when he suffered a heart attack. He was rushed to Roosevelt Hospital where he was pronounced dead at age 59. Oh my gosh. Hughes' funeral was held on August 11th, 2009 in Chicago where he was buried at Lake Forest Cemetery. After Hughes' death, many of those who knew him commented on the impact Hughes had had on them and on the film industry. Kevin Smith said, quote, basically, my stuff is just John Hughes films with four-letter words. Mm. Judd Apatow commented, I feel like a part of my childhood has died. No one made me laugh harder or more often than John Hughes. Molly Ringwald said, quote, I was stunned and incredibly sad to hear about the death of John Hughes. He was and will always be such an important part of my life. He will be missed by me and by everyone he has touched. My heart and my thoughts are with his family now. And Matthew Broderick also released his own statement saying, quote, I'm truly shocked and saddened by the news about my old friend, John Hughes. He was a wonderful, very talented guy, and my heart goes out to his family. The pilot episode of the NBC comedy Community was dedicated to Hughes and the 82nd Academy Awards in 2010 included a tribute to his work. So what is his work specifically when we talk about John Hughes movies? Sure, yes, of course. All right. Movies where he was the director. Okay. Starting with 1984, 16 Candles. Great movie. He was also the executive producer and a writer. 16 Candles is an American coming-of-age story starring Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, and Michael Scheffling. Um, I'm going to give you a summary of it. Sure. Great. Please. This takes place essentially over the course of one day. Molly Ringwald is Samantha Sam Baker, whose parents forget her 16th birthday because her older sister Ginny is getting married the next day. She has a big crush on the big jock Jake Ryan, who's played by Sheffling, but Geeky Ted, played by Anthony Michael Hall, has a crush on her. Mm-hmm. At home, Sam's day gets worse when she discovers she has to sleep on the sofa because her grandparents and a foreign exchange student named, unfortunately, oh, yeah. actually, yeah, Long Duck Dong, played by Getty Watanabe. Um, they're all staying at the house for the wedding. So her grandparents have also forgotten her birthday and they make Sam take Dong with her to the dance at school that night. There seems to be a very weird subplot about Ted getting Sam's underpants to show off to his geek yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. And then there's a party at Jake's house and he gets mad at everyone for making a mess. And yeah. then Ted tells Jake all about Sam and gives him her underwear. Parentheses, question mark. Yes. And parentheses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, Sam's mother apologizes to Sam for forgetting her birthday and everyone goes to the church for the wedding. Jake breaks up with his girlfriend. And then that night at Jake's house, Jake gives Sam her underwear. <laughs> And a birthday cake with 16 candles on it. He tells her to make a wish, but she says her wish already came true. And the two kiss as the film fades to black. It's a very lovely scene. Yeah, the but end I, scene. I'm just like really stuck on the whole underwear thing. Yeah, it's... Mm, yeah, if you watch, Wouldn't play today. No, that, that movie, you need to see it through the lens of like... 1984. 1980s, like high school, like trying to be like edgy. And uh-huh. it's... I mean, it doesn't hold up. I got to be honest okay. with you. But I saw it as a teen and I loved it. And I loved Molly Ringwall with her beautiful lush lips. And she's just such a beautiful redheaded woman. And then Jake Ryan was so handsome. And then he gives her the cake with the candles. It's very sweet. And they're like sitting on her dining room table. It's it's a sweet little movie, I guess. Yes. So that's 16 Candles. He follows that directorial Mm-hmm. debut up with The Breakfast Club oh, in yeah. 1985. He's the director, executive producer, and writer. This stars Emilio Estevez as the athlete, Andrew Clark, Anthony Michael Hall again as Brian Johnson, the brain, Judd Nelson as John Bender, the criminal, Molly Ringwald as the princess, Claire Standish, and Ali Sheedy as the basket case, Allison Reynolds. <laughs> They're teenagers from different high school cliques who spend a Saturday in detention with their authoritarian assistant principal, Vernon, played by Paul Gleason. Uh, the main theme of the film is the constant struggle of the American teenager to be understood by adults and by themselves. Did you like The Breakfast Club? I don't. Th- I don't know if I saw the entirety of it. It's fine. It, I. I don't think of all the John Hughes movies that I do like. Uh-huh. 
or the John Hughes movies that are out there, I don't think that it's the strongest narratively. Yeah. But it made such a huge impact. So I don't know. I feel like... I feel like I saw it at a lot of like sleepovers in high school. Yeah. And I didn't get it then. Like we were already like... What? I don't know. 15 years after that. So I didn't really like relate to what they were doing. But people seem to really enjoy it. And you know what? Good. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Also in 1985, we have Weird Science. Oh, sure. Yeah. So he's the director, also the writer. So the title of the movie is taken from a pre-Comics Code Authority 1950s EC Comics magazine of the same name, Weird Science. And the title song is by Oingo Boingo. Um, So Weird Science is about nerdy friends Gary Wallace, played by... Anthony Michael Hall. Oh, yeah. And Wyatt Donnelly, played by Ilan Mitchell-Smith. Um, they're inspired by the 1931 classic Frankenstein to create a virtual woman using Wyatt's computer, infusing her with everything they can to conceive um, the perfect dream woman. The, after hooking electrodes to a doll and hacking into a government computer system for more power, a power surge creates Lisa played by Callie LeBrock, a beautiful and intelligent woman with unlimited magical powers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a party and there's some bullies at the party and Lisa turns Wyatt's mean brother Chet into a blob and there's also a gang of mutant bikers. Yeah. There's the plot of <laughs> Weird Science. It's weird. Like, it is a deeply weird film. Uh-huh. And a little disturbing in some ways. Yeah, I can see that. Like at one point, Lisa like yells at his parents. It's very strange. Like Mm -hmm. I, it's a weird movie. So uh, the character Lisa was named for the first Apple computer, the Apple Lisa from 1983. Um, And that computer was either named for Steve Jobs' daughter, Lisa, or it potentially could have stood as an acronym for locally integrated software architecture, though most people say that's the backronym. Oh, sure, yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, And titles for this film in foreign countries. In Japan, they call it Electric Venus. In Denmark, Mm. they call it Touch Me, I'm Yours. Wow. In Russia, oh, this science. (laughs) And in Germany, cool science with Lisa. (laughs) I think that's my favorite. (laughs) Cool Science with Lisa. Join us on Saturday. Yes. 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Great movie. Um, So he's the director, also the executive producer and writer. Hughes wrote the screenplay in six days. Filming began in September 1985 and finished in November. Um, This movie features many Chicago landmarks, including the then Sears Tower, Wrigley Field, and the Art Institute of Chicago. And all of this was Hughes' love letter to Chicago. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off stars Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, a high school slacker who skips school for a day in Chicago with Sloane Peterson, played by Mia Sarah and Cameron Fry by Alan Ruck. Ferris regularly breaks the fourth wall to explain his techniques and inner thoughts. And Ferris borrows Cameron's father's prized 1961 Ferrari 250 GT California Spider. Along with all the Chicago landmarks they hit up, Ferris joins um, a parade float during the Von Steuben Day Parade and spontaneously lip syncs Wayne Newton's cover of Don Shane, mm-hmm. followed by the Beatles' Twist and Shout. Uh, Jennifer Grey plays Jeannie Bueller, Ferris' sister, who's trying to like track him down Mm -hmm. and Jeffrey Jones plays the Dean of Students Edward R. Rooney Um, probably one of the most famous lines from that film is life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it Um, in 2014 the film was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress it's very good (laughs) I think also one of the more famous things from it is um, after the credits play, you have that like kind of stinger scene where he's like, are you still here? Mm-hmm. And it feels like that feels very like iconic and parodied. And yeah, for sure. Uh, I know, I know in watching the movie, you're supposed to be like, you're supposed to have a crush on Ferris. Like Ferris is like the cool, rebellious so kid. cool. But I personally had it for Cameron. for Cameron. Yeah. I had a thing for Cameron. Um, I learned that Alan Ruck was, like 30 when yeah. the film was released. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was like way Playing too old like to be a, a teenager. Six, six, 17 year old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's also like six foot seven or something. <laughs> He's like enormously tall. Yeah. But yeah, I just love a, I just love a nervous guy with a strong jaw. What can I say? 
yeah. of an anxious and dude. That's one of, I think this is definitely what you would consider Hughes's most Chicago. Oh, absolutely. Movie yeah. And I was also looking up like, what's the Von Steuben Day Parade? Is that a real thing? Yes, it's a real thing. It's oh, like really? they, they no. it's a holiday held in mid-September to celebrate the Prussian-born Baron Von Steuben, of who course. helped, um, you know, uh, give provided services for General Washington during the American Revolutionary War. It's the German-American event of the year in Chicago. Wow. So it's a real thing. Well, what a thing. A year later. Like, Hughes is just like, churning these things out. out. Planes, trains, and automobiles, 1987. He's also the executive producer and writer. You've seen this one? I have never seen it. This one is great. This is a very good, like, family movie. Yes, you told me this. Like, like. You know how sometimes it's hard to pick a movie if you're yes. going to watch it with like your mom and your uncle and your grandma and your mm-hmm. cousin or whatever. This yeah. is a great movie for that. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles stars Steve Martin as Neil Page, who's a high-strung marketing executive, and John Candy as Del Griffith, a good-hearted but annoying shower curtain ring salesman. They have a three-day odyssey of misadventures trying to get Neil home to Chicago in time for Thanksgiving with his family. So this um, movie was inspired by a true story. Oh. It happened to Hughes. He was trying to get from New York City to Chicago. He had an 11 a.m. presentation in New York City on a Wednesday, was supposed to fly home that same evening to Chicago. But winter storms in Chicago canceled that flight and then further delays happened. And then he, like, he got on a plane and he ended up in Denver and then he got diverted to Phoenix and he didn't get back home to Chicago until five days later. Oh my God. So um, some exterior scenes for the movie were filmed in Buffalo, New York yeah. because they didn't have enough snow in Chicago during yeah, filming. Yeah, we're good for something. Woo! Woo! All right. A year later, 1988, and this is one I'm not I'm not super familiar with, is She's Having a Baby. I've heard of it. I've never yeah, seen it. So he's a director, also executive producer and writer. Um, in this movie, it um, portrays a young newlywed couple, Jake Briggs, who's played by Kevin Bacon, <gasps> and Christy Briggs, played by Elizabeth McGovern, who try to cope with married life and their parents' expectations. Hmm. And I guess presumably they have a baby because it's in the title. Yeah. One would assume. Doesn't seem like it's a fan favorite necessarily, I, but um, hey, it happened. Um, one that people do seem to like, or maybe... At the time, they didn't like it, but now people like it. Uncle Buck. Oh, okay. 1989. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the director, also executive producer and writer. So in this film, Bob and Cindy Russell and their three children, 15-year-old Tia, 8-year-old Miles, who's played by Macaulay Culkin, and 6-year-old Maisie, who's played by Gabby Hoffman, have recently moved from Indianapolis to the Chicago suburbs due to Bob's promotion. And late one night, they receive a phone call from Cindy's aunt in Indianapolis informing them that her father has had a heart attack. So the parents make plans to leave immediately to go be with him. And Bob's wild and crazy brother, Buck, played by John Candy, comes to watch the children. Mm. And of course, hilarity ensues. Yeah, hi, Jason. Um, and Buck's girlfriend is named Shanice Koblowski, played by Amy Madigan. And... It, the poster for the film is very iconic. It's yeah. like the kids leaning against the door and like John Candy like knocking on the door. Um, but I mean, you can't go wrong with John Candy. You can't right? go wrong with John Candy. So lovable and funny. <sighs> yes. Um, and then the last movie that Hughes directed was 1991, Curly Sue. Okay. And he was also the executive producer and writer for that. So in this movie... <clears throat> Bill Dancer, played by Jim Belushi, and his young companion, Curly Sue, played by Allison Porter, are the archetypical homeless folks with hearts of gold. Their scams are aimed not at turning a profit, but just getting enough to eat. Hmm. The duo cons the rich divorce lawyer, Gray Ellison, played by Kelly Lynch, into believing that she backed her Mercedes into Bill in hopes of a free meal. But when Gray accidentally runs over him for real she insists on putting the two up for the night and then they stay for a while because they're homeless sure um and gray learns that sue isn't bill's real daughter but that he raised her after sue's mother died and she wants sue to stay with her because she should be taken care of and get an education and like be able to be a little girl yeah um so the movie ultimately ends up with bill and gray getting married and legally adopting sue Leonard Malton gave it one and a half stars in his movie guide and called it, quote, a John Hughes formula movie where the formula doesn't work. Oh, well, that's a shame. So that was his last like movie that he directed. But I'm going to kind of go back a decade and talk more about movies that he was a writer for. Okay. So National Lampoon's Class Reunion, 1982. Mm-hmm. This was like his first like writing credit. Okay. Um, 
it it sounds like it's a bad movie. <laughs> Um, unfortunately. Okay. Um, uh, the article I read said, this is a very unfunny film, which was released after the successful National Lampoon's Animal House mm. and which died at the box office. It oh. focuses on the 10th reunion of a 1972 high school graduating class. And the plot combines both comedy and horror slasher elements, what? which is a combination that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, quote, a murderer is killing off class members who are such dull, dreary creatures that no one could blame him. Um, John Hughes claimed that he had been fired from the film and he said, they didn't even want me around. I was shocked when I saw the movie. My screenplay had been completely butchered and my name will nevertheless be on the credits forever. Oh, jeez. So, unfortunately, his first... Not a great... Not a great start. Yeah. A year later, Mr. Mom, 1983, Mm. the plot revolves around an unemployed Detroit automotive engineer becoming a stay-at-home dad, played by Michael Keaton, Mm -hmm. and taking care of three young children after his wife, played by Terry Garr, returns to a career in the advertising business as an executive at an agency. Terry Garr? What happened to Terry Mm. Garr? Yeah. I don't know. She was great. So funny Uh, and beautiful. Bless her. Bless. Lesser. <laughs> the same year, National Lapoon's Vacation, 1983, oh, okay. mm-hmm. um, was based on Hughes' short story, Vacation 58, which appeared in National Lapoon magazine. Um, this is the one where they uh, go on the cross-country trip to Wally World. Um, mm. Chevy Chase plays Clark W. Griswold. Beverly D'Angelo plays Ellen Griswold. Anthony Michael Hall's there as Rusty. Yeah, and everywhere. Dana Barron plays Audrey. And of course, we have Randy Quaid as Cousin Eddie, oh, yeah. etc. Um, also in 1983, we have a movie called Nate and Hayes, which all I can tell you is that is a swashbuckling adventure film. Ooh, that sounds bad. <laughs> yep. But, you know, he had a lot sure. of other, a lot of other oh. irons in the fire. A lot of success. 1985, European Vacation. Um, so Hughes received credit, writing credit to this due to leftover material from the first vacation movie being used. Um, have you seen European Vacation? I have not seen any of the vacation movies. Really? I am not a Chevy Chase fan. Yeah. I feel like as a, like a comedy fan, I just, I don't see a lot of movies, you know? Mm. So that's another thing. I think yes. I think you well, may have heard that once or well, twice. So anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry I'm for sorry. those of you that need a refresher because you have seen it. European Vacation is the one that starts with all the Griswold family being on a on a TV game show called Pig in a Poke, and they win an all expenses paid trip to Europe. Um, so again, this has. Um, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo but Rusty is now played by Jason Lively and Audrey is now played by Dana Hill Um, in 1986 we have the film Pretty in Pink great movie he didn't direct it he was only the writer and executive producer I think I like Pretty in Pink better than 16 Candles for sure so Pretty in Pink was directed by Howard Deutsch, was produced by Lauren Schuler Donner, and it was written by John Hughes, who also served as co-executive producer. It was named after the song by the Psychedelic Furs. Great and the song. film's soundtrack has been rated as one of the best in modern cinema. I have it on my phone. It's a great soundtrack. It's fantastic. I can sing everywhere. So your summary... High school senior Andy Walsh, played by Molly Ringwald, lives with her underemployed working class father, Jack, played by Harry Dean Stanton, in a Chicago suburb. Andy's best friend, Phil Ducky Dale, John Cryer, is in love with her, but is afraid to tell her how he truly feels. In school, Ducky and Andy, along with their friends, are harassed and bullied by the arrogant Richie kids. Mm. And Blaine McDonough, played by Andrew McCarthy, is the guy she likes. And Jack buys Andy a pink dress for prom and Andy ends up with Blaine, the rich kid. She picked wrong. Like that's the part of the movie that I dislike. Like she should have ended up with Ducky and apparently originally she was supposed to end up with Ducky, but test audiences got mad and wanted her to end up with Blaine. Who's named Blaine? Also, Andrew McCarthy has crazy eyes in that movie. Like when he's upset with her at one in one scene, he's like, He's got crazy eyes. Yeah. You you nailed it right on the head. Thank Hughes you. was not happy with the ending of the movie because no, that's not how he originally wrote it. It was, and then after the test audiences, mm-hmm. like then they changed it. So she was supposed to end up with Ducky. Yes. But he does like a whole song and dance in the record shop. <laughs> oh God, don't even get me started. <laughs> well, 
A year later, John Hughes gets to write something else, some kind of wonderful. Mm. Um, it's a 1987 American romantic drama film, um, also directed by Howard Deutsch. It stars Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Leah Thompson. And it is another, yet another one of his successful teen dramas um, set in a, you know, high school in the 1980s. Sure. So this one is set against the strict social hierarchy of public school in suburban Los Angeles, not Ooh. Chicago. Blue collar mechanic Keith Nelson and his tomboyish friend Watts, who's been subjected to rumors that she's a lesbian, <gasps> aspire oh, wow. to improve their social standing. And when Keith asks out the most popular and attractive girl in school, Amanda Jones, played by Leah Thompson, Watts realizes that her feelings for her friend Keith are much deeper. Oh, no. So basically, Hughes, again, like wanted since he was upset with the ending of pretty in pink he wanted to retell the story but with the genders of the main characters switched oh okay. so hughes named the three main protagonists keith watts and amanda jones as an inside joke tribute to the rolling stones because oh, okay. after keith richards charlie watts and the stones song miss amanda jones respectively that's interesting oh i didn't know that that's cool so apparently that one pretty good all right and then we start like Kind of. Let me have a little going downhill. The Great Outdoors in 1988 mm. um, stars Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Stephanie Farrisee, and Annette Benning in her feature film debut as two families spending time on vacation in Wisconsin. Okay. Presumably in the Great Outdoors. Um, 1989 Christmas Vacation mm. uh, based again on another short story that Hughes wrote for the National Lampoon magazine Christmas 59 um, this one has Julia Louis-Dreyfus as like one of the next door neighbors one of the, oh right and yeah I think I mean this one's cute like if you're gonna pick a vacation movie, this is this, this is, is a good one to watch. watch. All right, um, and in this one, um, the children are played by Johnny Galecki and Juliette Lewis. Oh wow! Okay, 1990. I think maybe the movie from the 90s that we most associate with John Hughes, Josh's favorite movie of Christmas. Home Alone. Of course. Yes. Um, so it was directed by Chris Columbus, stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara. Oh. Um, in my notes, I have as Kevin McAllister, Harry, Marv, Peter McAllister, the father, and <laughs> Kate McAllister. <laughs> you, you don't need a recap of Home Alone, nope. but of course it follows an eight-year-old boy who has to defend his home from two burglars after his family mistakenly leaves him behind on their Christmas vacation. Again, Home Alone became the highest grossing live action comedy film of all time in the United States and held the record worldwide until it was overtaken by The Hangover Part 2 in wow. 2011. And it was also the highest grossing Christmas film of all time until it was surpassed by Dr. Seuss's The Grinch in 2018. Really? That movie? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, 1991, a movie I've never heard of, Career Opportunities. Mm, no, me neither. Um, so... Also not in Chicago. Uh, Frank Whaley plays Jim Dodge, a persuasive but irresponsible kid who lands a job as an overnight janitor at a local Target. One evening after hours, he finds himself locked in the Target alone with the affluent but mistreated Josie McClellan, played by Jennifer Connelly. Josie has $52,000 in her purse and convinces Jim to run away with her to California as soon as they get out of the store in the morning. Things become complicated when two incompetent crooks break in and hold them hostage. Eventually, Josie seduces one of the crooks and convinces him to take her with him after robbing the store. And while the criminals are loading stolen merchandise into their car, Josie jumps into the front seat and drives away, leaving the two men stranded in the parking lot. And in the morning, the crooks are found tied up in the store and Josie and Jim run away to Hollywood. You know, your favorite John my Hughes film, <laughs> Career Opportunities. I did never in never my life heard have of heard of that. No. Yeah. All right. And then Rapid Fire. 1991, we have Dutch, which is a road trip comedy drama starring Ed O'Neill as Dutch Julie and Ethan Embry as Doyle Standish, his I, girlfriend's son. I'm pretty sure I have heard the McElroy brothers joke about this movie because no one has ever seen Dutch. <laughs> I can okay. see that. Mm -hmm. um, 1992, Beethoven, the dog movie, centers on a St. Bernard dog named after Ludwig von Beethoven and owned by the Newton family. Um, this screenplay is under is under the pseudonym Edmund Dantes. Oh, okay. It was also co-written by Amy Holden Jones. And because of this, he's also credited on Beethoven's second and Beethoven's third. I see, okay. 
Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, 1992. Of course. One year after the events of Home Alone, Kevin and his family again decide to take a trip, but this time to Florida, though Kevin accidentally boards the wrong plane and instead ends up in New York City. Uh-oh. He tries to make do with what he has, such as using his father's credit card to stay at the Plaza Hotel. You know. Yeah. Really like you do. Like laying really low. Um and but however he is obviously confronted by the recently escaped wet bandits um the Talkboy cassette recorder was produced mm. as a tie-in for the movie by tiger electronics based on specifications provided by john hughes and the movie studio wow. and it sold very well after the film was released on home video um i do remember and this may be controversial but i liked home alone 2 better than home alone 1 um i remember when we watched home alone 2 that it was like Oh, his booby traps are getting worse. It's darker. That's <laughs> yes, why I darker. liked it. Because oh, it's darker. Okay. Yeah, because I'm sick in the head. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. It's darker. Yeah. 1993, he wrote Dennis the Menace. Based oh, yeah. on the Hank Ketchum comic strip of the same name. Um, it concerns the misadventures of the mischievous Dennis Mitchell, played by Mason Gamble, who wreaks havoc on his next door neighbor, George Wilson, played by Walter Matthau. 1994, a big flop, Baby's Day Out. Oof. Um, I saw that in theaters. So did I. Yeah, why did Our we moms do probably that? took us. Yeah, that's 100% true. They were like, true. this movie is fine. This is for children. Yeah. It's bad. I remember yeah. thinking it was bad then. Yeah. I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. The plot centers on a wealthy baby's abduction by three kidnappers, yeah. his subsequent escape and adventure through Chicago while being pursued by the kidnappers. Yeah, it's a bad yep. idea. Um. 1994, he also wrote the reboot of Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, I didn't know that. So, um, yeah, that was Richard Attenborough, Mara Wilson, Elizabeth Perkins, and Dylan McDermott. Um, The New York City-based Macy's Department Store declined to be involved with this remake, so the fictitious Coles, C-O-L-E-S, became its replacement. 101 Dalmatians in 1996. Mm. He was also the executive producer based on Walt Disney's animated 1961 movie adaptation of the 1956 novel, The 101 Dalmatians. 1997, Flubber. Oh, yeah. was directed by Les Mayfield. It was a remake of The Absent-Minded Professor starring Robin Williams as Professor Philip Brainerd who makes a sentient green goo flying rubber, a.k.a. Flubber. I loved it. You know, I don't think I saw Flubber. I, th- I, think I can I just picture all the, yeah, this, you know. the glube. Yeah. Yeah. I, saw, I think I saw it in theaters and I loved it. Yeah. Home Alone 3 in 1997, the third film in the Home Alone series and the first not to feature Macaulay Culkin in the cast from the previous films. Um, so, yeah, he was like, he still wrote this one. Um, interesting. Starring Alex D. Linz as Alex Pruitt, an eight-year-old child prodigy who defends his home from a dangerous band of criminals who work for a North Korean terrorist organization. Jeez, Again, just wow. such light fare. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't see that one. Um, in 1998, he wrote a film called Reach the Rock. It's um, about a small-town troublemaker named Robin, played by Alessandro Nivola, who's directionless and alienated and ends up spending a night in a jail cell while he and the police chief named Quinn, played by William Sadler, engage in a battle of wills and wit. That sounds boring. Again, your other favorite John yeah. Hughes film, Reach Love the it. Rock. Um, Just Visiting in 2001 is about a medieval knight and his serf who traveled to 21st century Chicago meeting the knight's descendant. Hmm. Just Visiting. All right. And then his last two films that he wrote, that he wrote, um, both of them were under the, um, under the pseudonym Edmund Dantes. Made in Manhattan, 2002. <gasps> no, really? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. A hotel maid named Marissa Ventura played by... Jennifer Lopez and a high profile politician named Christopher Marshall played by Ralph Rafe Fiennes fall in love of course and also his last film 2008 Drillbit Taylor oh that's a shame yeah three high school pupils are deciding to hire an adult bodyguard Bob Drillbit Taylor played by Owen Wilson to protect them from two bullies which endlessly harass and abuse them before developing a friendly relationship with him you know what again I'm pretty sure I've heard the McElroy brothers do a lot of jokes about (laughs) Drillbit Taylor Taylor. yeah well I mean it's ripe for the picking I think Um, and in 2009, a film called Don't You Forget About Me was a documentary about four Canadian filmmakers who go in search of Hughes after he dropped out of the spotlight in 1994. 
It features interviews with Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Matthew Broderick, and other actors from his films. The film is named after the Simple Mind song of the same name, which was the theme song for The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. A few more extra John Hughes and movie tidbits. Um, can't really talk about John Hughes without referencing the Brat Pack. Of course, yeah. So that's a nickname given to a group of young actors who frequently appeared together in teen-oriented coming-of-age films in the 1980s. It's now usually defined as the cast members of two specific films released in 1985. Mm. John Hughes' The Breakfast Club mm-hmm. and Joel Schumacher's St. Elmo's Fire. Yes. Though some other, some other actors are sometimes included. So the core members are usually considered to be Emilio Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. Mm-hmm. So again, St. Elmo's Fire, not by John Hughes, though some people sometimes confuse it as one of his. Mm-hmm. Um, so St. Elmo's Fire it was a 1985 film written and directed by Joel Schumacher, centering on a clique of recent graduates of Washington, D.C.'s Georgetown University and their adjustments to post-university life and the responsibilities of adulthood. Did you say it? No. No, neither did I. No. Probably, we yeah. probably wouldn't get it. No, probably not. Yeah of its time <laughs> <laughs> um if you couldn't tell by now molly ringwald was his muse yes um she started in three films 16 candles the breakfast club and pretty in pink she was set to star in another hughes film called oil and vinegar but the film was scrapped when hughes refused to rewrite the script for the studio he was like this is it yeah um so the film would have been about a soon-to-be-married man played by matthew broderick and a hitchhiking girl obviously molly ringwald talking about their lives during the length of a car ride oh okay oil and vinegar other unrealized projects attributed to john to john hughes include 1979 national lampoon's jaws three people zero Hughes co-wrote the script of the third Jaws film as a National Lampoon parody from Universal Pictures. But Steven Spielberg convinced Universal not to make the film by threatening to never work with the studio again. In 1985, The Last Good Year, um, he wanted to make that. It was supposed to be about the year 1962 before the Beatles invasion. Mm. Anthony Michael Hall claimed that Hughes wanted to make it with him. Though he didn't have the storyline complete, he had a mixtape already put together for the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And in 1992, Hughes reportedly visited Charles M. Schultz at his home in Santa Clara, <gasps> California, to talk about adapting Peanuts into a film. Oh my gosh, could you even imagine? <laughs> oh According to Variety, Hughes planned to write the script in uh, 1992 and finish it by spring 1993. And it, but it's believed that the critical failure of Dennis the Menace prevented uh, the Peanuts movie from being made. Yeah, that makes sense. And then finally, according to Kirk Honeycutt, Hughes also wrote an incomplete initial draft of the Dumb and Dumber script. (gasps) He eventually abandoned the script, sold it to the Farrelly brothers, and had his name removed. Yeah, probably for... Probably for the best. But anyway, he had such a good... He had a... had a great run. Really great, like, 20 years. So successful. Very successful. Like, he got to make a lot of the stories that he wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. He seems like everybody liked him. Oh, he seemed like a lovely man. So, I I do remember, like, when he passed away, when, like, people Mm -hmm. were like, oh, that was, like, my, you know, my teen years. Or I didn't realize he was so young. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew he died suddenly. Yeah. But I didn't think he was that young. I thought he was a lot older than that. That's sad. Yeah. Hmm. That was great. Thanks. I love that. I love most of those movies. Yeah. I could have sworn. We don't have to leave. It feels like we saw a lot of opposites. Yeah. I could have sworn that Say Anything was a John Hughes movie. Mm. And clearly it's not. But now I want to know who, who did, did that it? movie. Who done yeah. it? Yeah. Who done it? Oh, that's Cameron Crowe. Ah. Yeah. That is one of my favorite movies. Okay. Oh, when I was a teen and I watched it, so romantic. Oh, I cried and cried with the boom box. Like, I was already a Peter Gabriel, like, super fan by the time I was 16. Because, again, I was a very cool teen. Um, But when uh, In Your Eyes played over that boom box, oh, that was it. That was IT it for me. It's like, it's all over. Yeah, if you need to know anything about Lauren, it's that she freaking loves she loves Peter Gabriel. I love Peter Gabriel. I might do an episode she also on Peter loves Gabriel. Genesis. I do love Genesis, but um, uh, you know, Peter Gabriel Genesis, not mm-hmm. necessarily like Phil mm-hmm. Collins Genesis. But we'll. T- I mean, I'll, we'll talk about it in my episode about Peter Gabriel that I will eventually <laughs> do. But anyway, John Hughes, great director and writer, loved his movies. Great guy. So our quiz tonight is called Pretty in Pink. 
It's a quiz on movies with colors in the titles. I will give you the year the film was released, along with a brief plot summary, and you will tell me the movie title. Ready, set, action. Question one. 1999. A backup quarterback who couldn't be seduced by a whipped cream bikini is chosen to lead a Texas high school football team to victory after the star quarterback is injured. Number two, 2011. After their plane crashes in mercilessly cold Alaska, six oil workers are led by a skilled huntsman to survival while a pack of merciless timber wolves stalk them along the way. Number three, 2017. After a secret agency's headquarters are destroyed and the world is held hostage, an allied spy organization in the United States joins the surviving Brits to band together and defeat a common enemy. Number four, 1999. During the Great Depression, the lives of guards on death row at Cold Mountain Penitentiary are affected by one of their charges, an African-American man accused of the murder and rape of two white girls, yet who possesses a mysterious gift. Number five, 2018, the heir to a hidden but advanced kingdom must step forward to lead his people to a new future and must confront a challenger from his country's past. Number six, 2012, after a stint in a mental institution, former teacher and Philadelphia Eagles fan Pat Solitano moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. Things get more challenging when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. Number seven, 1998, epic war film adaptation of James Jones's autobiographical 1962 novel focusing on part of the Guadalcanal campaign in the Pacific Theater during the Second World War, directed by Terrence Malick. Number eight, 2002, a guidance counselor mistakenly sends out the wrong transcripts to Stanford University for an overachieving high schooler and wackiness, or is it Jack Blackiness, ensues. Number 9, 1992, black and white basketball hustlers join forces to double their chances of winning money for, on the street courts in a basketball tournament. Can I have foods that begin with the letter Q for 500, Alex? And question 10, 1984, a young musician, aka the kid, tormented by an abusive situation at home, must contend with a rival singer, a burgeoning romance, and his own dissatisfied band as his star begins to rise. I'll give you a minute to think about it and be back with your answers. All right. Okay. 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 All of the movies have a color in the title. I know. <laughs> I know. All right. I know colors. All right. Okay. And all of them are different color. I don't repeat any colors. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. All right. First, 1999. A backup quarterback who couldn't be seduced by a whipped cream bikini is chosen to lead a Texas high school football team to victory after the star quarterback is injured. That's Varsity Blues. Yes. Yes. Starring James Vanderbeek, Paul Walker, John Voight, and Amy Smart. Number two, 2011. After their plane crashes in mercilessly cold Alaska, six oil workers are led by a skilled huntsman to survival while a pack of timber wolves stalks them along the way. Uh, is that like Yellowknife or something like that? White mm. Fang? 
No. No. Purple Mountain's Majesty. Wolf movie in Alaska. Balto. With Liam Neeson. (laughs) Liam Neeson's. Um, Liam Neeson is this guy. Is Indigo Dark. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's The Gray. Oh, I've never heard of this. Oh, okay. It's called The Gray. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It stars Liam Neeson, Dermot Mulroney, and Frank Grillo, and is based on the short story Ghost Walker by Ian McKenzie Jeffers. Oh, wow. Number three, 2017. After a secret agency's headquarters are destroyed and the world is held hostage, an allied spy organization in the United States joins the surviving Brits to band together and defeat a common enemy. King's been the golden circle. Yes. Yes. Stars <laughs> <laughs> Colin Firth, Taryn Edgerton, Mark Strong, Julianne Moore, Halle Berry, Elton John, Channing Tatum, and Jeff Bridges. Loved it. A prequel, The King's Man, is currently scheduled to be released in September 2020. We're going to see it. We're going to go see it. I know. It's a great movie. All right. Number four. 1999, during the Great Depression, the lives of guards on death row at Cold Mountain Penitentiary are affected by one of their charges, an African-American man accused of the murder and rape of two white girls, yet who possesses a mysterious gift. This is the Green Mile. Yes. Stars Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan, James Cromwell, Sam Rockwell, and many others, based on the 1996 novel by Stephen King. All right, number five. 2018. The heir to a hidden but advanced kingdom must step forward to lead his people into a new future and must confront a challenger from his country's past. That's Black Panther. Yes. Thank you. Stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Danae Gurria, Daniel Kaluuya, Letitia Wright, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, and also Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman. Yeah, in very small parts. Which I totally forgot that they were in it. Yeah. Um, Black Panther grossed $700 million in the United States and Canada and $646 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $1.347 billion. Amazing. It became the highest grossing solo superhero film, the third highest grossing film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and superhero film overall, and the ninth highest grossing film of all time. Also, the highest grossing film by a black director. Yes. It's fantastic. We saw it in theaters. Yeah. It's great. It's also very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very purple, like a lot of purple light. And the women are all very strong. Oh, the women are strong. The costumes are great. Angela Bassett mm, looks... She's 61. I can't believe it. God. I didn't look that good at 17. No. 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 <laughs> She's incredible. Uh, number six. <laughs> 2012. After a stint in a mental institution, former teacher and Philadelphia Eagles fan Pat Solitano moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. Things get more challenging with Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. That's Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence with Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, Chris Tucker, and Julia Stiles. I like that movie a lot. Still haven't seen it. I know. I know. You're disappointed. I I know. (laughs) Number seven, 1998. An epic war film adaptation of James Jones's autobiographical 1962 novel, focusing on part of the Guadalcanal campaign in the Pacific Theater during the Second World War, directed by Terrence Malick. Is it Red Dawn? You have the color right. I know. I've got the color, the thin red line. Yes. Yes. The title alludes to a line from Rudyard Kipling's poem, Tommy, in which he calls foot soldiers the thin red line of heroes. Mm. It co-stars Nick Nolte, Adrian Brody, George Clooney, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson, Jared Leto, John C. Riley, and John Travolta. So many. Number eight, 2002. A guidance counselor mistakenly sends out the wrong transcripts to Stanford University for an overachieving high schooler and wackiness, or is it Jack Blackiness, ensues. I don't think, I don't think I know what this is. We got red, orange, oh, uh, orange, uh, orange men, orange, glad I got into college. Uh, uh, orange, orange. The color orange. <laughs> Is it orange? Uh-huh. Okay. It's called Orange County. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, see, I didn't see it. Stars it out. Colin Hanks, Jack Black, yeah. Catherine O'Hara, John Lithgow, Lily Tomlin, Harold Ramis, and many more. That was 2002? Yeah. Oh, Lord. I remember when that movie came out. I was alive. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that you was... You could have seen it. I could have seen it, but I didn't. There's a lot of movies I should have seen. Orange County, damn. All right, we'll turn it around. Number okay. nine, 1992. Black and white basketball hustlers join forces to double their chances of winning money on the street courts and in a basketball tournament. Can I have foods that begin with the letter Q for $500, Alex? That's called White Men Can't Jump. Yes, stars Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, and Rosie Perez. And then finally, question 10. 1984. A young musician, a.k.a. the kid, tormented by an abusive situation at home, must contend with a rival singer, a burgeoning romance, and his own dissatisfied band as his star begins to rise. The kid sounds so familiar to me. <laughs> I'm going to be real I mad, aren't I? I made this be last for you. I made, this, I made this be the last question for me. For you. Is it Peter Gabriel? No. No. <laughs> no. Sorry. Um, all right. I'm going to go through Roy G. Biv here. Red, orange, yellow. Did we do yellow already? Yellow. Orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, pink, pink, pretty and pink. No. Shut up. Um, 1984. Oh, pink flamingos? No. A young musician, a.k.a. <sighs> the kid. Tormented by an abusive situation at home, must contend with a rival singer, a burgeoning romance, and his own dissatisfied band as his star begins to rise. What is it? What is it? Purple rain. Oh, shit. Purple oh, rain. Oh, my God. It's purple rain. <gasps> Prince, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's not a good movie. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. Like, it's a good movie, uh -huh. but it's not like a good movie. Well, the film won an Oscar for Best Original Song Score. Well, it was yeah, the last to receive that award. In 2019, the film was added by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry. Mm, okay. uh, Purple Rain was supported with its soundtrack album of the same name, which featured two U.S. chart-topping singles, When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy, mm. as well as the number two hit, Purple Rain. The soundtrack is certified platinum 13 times by the Recording Industry Association of America and has sold more than 25 million copies worldwide. The soundtrack's fantastic. There's not a baseline in the whole thing. It's incredible. Mm, stupid. That was dumb of me. No, you did. A I got white man can't jump, but I didn't get purple rain. <laughs> like this is the way my brain works. Apparently. <laughs> Whatever. You did a great job. Yeah, I did better than normal. That's for sure. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Well, that's our show. That's our show, everybody. Uh, that's what we got. Thanks. Um, uh, thanks for listening and please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Yeah, and thank you to everybody that's already done that. It's very kind. We appreciate you so much. So much. Uh, so, uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. We will catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>